This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, September 28th, 2022. I'm Kellen Walker with Automotive News. On today's show, dealers in Florida brace for Hurricane Ian. GM eases up on its return to office mandate after employee outcry. And Ford invests $700 million in its Kentucky truck plant. Plus, a conversation with Harbinger CEO John Harris about the new EV startup's focus on the medium-duty commercial truck market. We wanted to highlight how much you could do with a segment when you actually go back to first principles and design everything from a clean sheet of paper. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Dealership groups have been scrambling to close many of their Florida locations as Hurricane Ian bears down on the Gulf Coast. It threatens much of the state with high winds, flooding, tornadoes, and widespread property damage. The storm has strengthened from a Category 3 hurricane to a Category 4. Brian Danahy is Ed Morse Auto Group's Director of Variable Operations for Florida. He tells our own Hillary Rubin that he's most concerned about his employees' safety. Some people are going to be affected more than others. Some people's homes are going to have some damage, and we try to help out. Just, you know, make sure that, that let them know that we're there to support them. Yeah, it's about more than the cars in the dealership. Yeah, they don't really matter. We, we can we can get more cars and we can build more dealerships, but our team is what makes us successful. So that's what we worry about the most. Asbury Auto Group has closed some of its 24 Florida stores on Tuesday and plan to close the rest today. Nine of CarMax's 24 Florida stores had closed as of Tuesday afternoon. General Motors is backing off from its plan to make salaried employees return to company offices later this year for at least three days a week. The initial announcement came down abruptly last week and prompted backlash from workers who felt the change was misguided or being imposed too quickly. GM told workers in a new message from its senior leadership team that it still wants a more regular in-person presence but that it would not alter the work-appropriately philosophy it adopted during the pandemic any sooner than 2023. The new message did not refer to a specific number of days workers would have to report in person. It said individual managers would make decisions on how, when, and where their teams should collaborate. It also said the company would not mandate which days of the week employees work in person versus remotely. GM says it will share more information with workers at the end of October. Ford is investing $700 million and adding 500 jobs at its Kentucky truck plant. The move will support production of its new 2023 model year F-Series Super Duty truck. The automaker and its South Korean battery partner, SK Innovation, said a year ago that they would invest more than $11 billion to build an electric F-150 assembly plant and three battery plants in the United States. The company said they would invest almost $6 billion in Kentucky and almost the same amount in Tennessee. It says the Kentucky joint venture will create about 5,000 jobs. And Jaguar Land Rover will retrain 29,000 employees and staff at retailers around the world to design, build, and service electric vehicles. 
The retraining will take place over the next three years ahead of its shift away from fossil fuel cars. JLR said the majority of technicians at its retailers should receive training on servicing EVs during this financial year. And those are today's headlines coming up. We'll hear from the head of new EV startup Harbinger, which made a big debut during the Detroit Auto Show. That's next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Michael Dunn, son of legendary car spy Jim Dunn, and I'm also the host of the Driving with Dunn podcast. Over the last 26 years, I founded two companies, became president of GM Indonesia, and I was featured on 60 Minutes. Today, I run Sozo Go, a global market intelligence company with deep expertise in electrics and autonomous cars. Driving with Dunn is going on 80 episodes. Our guests include Henrik Fisker. We're going to modernize the Pope Mobile. Linda Zhang, chief engineer of the F-150 Lightning, and many more. You can listen at ZozoGo.com or wherever you get your podcast. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com, that's G-O-M-O-T-O.com, to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive, I'm Kellen Walker. One of the first displays attendees of the Detroit Auto Show may have seen last week was from an unfamiliar company. Sitting at the front of the convention hall, Harbinger's electric medium-duty commercial truck greeted people as they walked in and made an impression. Harbinger's CEO, John Harris, spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. They talked about the company's focus on the medium-duty commercial market, a fast track toward production, and the importance of designing a vehicle from the ground up. Here's a piece of their conversation. Tell us about Harbinger and what you were doing in Detroit last week. Sounds good. So Harbinger is a medium duty electrification company. We're building a completely brand new platform designed from the ground up for medium duty trucks. We're vertically integrated. It has a battery system, drivetrain, chassis, suspension, steering, everything on the platform is specifically designed for the medium duty segment and to be electric from day one. So that's all sounds obvious and yet is somehow revolutionary for this segment. So you've been working on this for, I think, about 18 months. Uh, what made the Detroit Auto Show the, the place where you wanted to uh, open up the curtain a little bit? Well, we wanted to highlight how much you could do with a segment when you actually 
go back to first principles and design everything from a clean sheet of paper. Um, that's, I would say, normally how a new passenger car is made. You know, when we look at the new Mustang, like stylistically, they know it should look like a Mustang, but it's not built with pieces of a Ford Explorer. There's a bunch of stuff on there they designed specifically for the Mustang. Um, and that's historically been how passenger cars have been made. They're vertically integrated, very high capital investments, I guess, purposefully designed. All the elements are purposefully designed for the product. When we look at trucking, we rarely see that. Um, that's been true in ICE trucking, but it's also true in electrification, where almost everything on you know, the few electric trucks you might see today wasn't designed for that. Best case, it was designed for that truck as a gas or diesel vehicle, but it probably wasn't even that. It was probably designed for a family of two dozen different trucks in different weight classes and different vocations. And then someone grabbed some electrification stuff and sort of slapped it on there and said, ta-da, electric truck. You end up with a product that no one's particularly happy with that way. It's more of a box checking exercise than a way of building a great product. So what is the market opportunity that you see in this medium duty segment now? So today there are roughly 250 to 300,000 vehicles sold a year in the U.S. in the piece of the market that we focus on. So that's not all of medium duty. According to the Department of Transportation, medium duty is vehicles in classes three through six. Below that you have light duty, above that you have heavy duty. But when we look closer, a class three vehicle is a lot more like a class two vehicle than a class four vehicle. You know, if you go out and buy a Sprinter van, you can get a class two or a class three Sprinter. There's no class four Sprinter because the way class four vehicles are built is completely different. So we're focusing specifically on classes four, five, and six at launch. And then we're adding class seven a little bit down the road because these are all vehicles that have very similar use cases and uh, I guess in particular, customer expectations around durability. So like I said, ballpark, 300,000 units a year in that segment. That's the fastest growing segment in the U.S. We've seen growth of 10 to 15% a year every year for the last 20 years. And that's primarily fueled by e-commerce growth. So when we look at this segment, it's not pickup trucks. It's not sedans. We're not competing with companies like Ford and Tesla on their bread and butter. It's a market that we think is you know, big enough to be interesting, but it's small enough that it's just been completely overlooked by electrification. As you mentioned, like you see like the electrification thus far has been kind of a, a retrofit of existing trucks and, and you're talking about building a, a lineup of platforms from the ground up. Exactly. When we look at this, when we look at this segment, you know, it is a punishingly different, difficult segment to operate vehicles in. We look at the level of stress and strain on these drivers. You know, many of these drivers are doing parcel delivery where they're driving 10 to 12 hours a day. They're getting in and out of the vehicle 150 to 200 times a day, you know, usually carrying stuff to our door. Many of the vehicles don't have air conditioning. Many of the vehicles have front leaf spring suspensions, which is something we haven't seen in passenger cars since the 1940s or 50s, because it's so uncomfortable. So yes, we're making an electric platform, but that isn't enough. 
we need to make a vehicle that is a better vehicle, that is more comfortable to operate, that is easier to maintain, that is also electric. But if we just go in and say, well, we're, we're just going to take, you know, this sort of whole category of products that no one really particularly is happy with and then just make it electric, we're just leaving so much on the table that way. Why has there been so little innovation over decades on this medium duty segment? Is it purely because the the market opportunity wasn't growing at that 15, 20% annual clip until this e-commerce boom? No, it's it's around the structure of the market. So when we look at the passenger car space, it's vertically integrated. If we go buy, you know, RAM pickup, you get a RAM body a RAM engine, a RAM interior, RAM doors and windows. You get it from a RAM dealership. You buy RAM parts. Everything you touch is from one company. And when we look at a Class 8 vehicle, it works almost the same way. You know, Volvo Class 8 tractor has a Volvo engine, has a Volvo cab. It's all Volvo. And the reason that that works so well is that those markets are very low mix, high volume markets. Everyone who gets an Explorer gets an Explorer. You don't get to go to Ford and say, well, I'd like my Explorer to have a different door and you know, a sliding like window. That, that isn't how it works. You get an Explorer or you don't. When we look at medium-duty vehicles, everyone wants something a little bit different. And the best example um, to me is when you look at UPS and FedEx. You have two companies that are doing fundamentally the same thing in the same place with the same kind of vehicle. And yet... UPS's trucks are custom made to be two inches narrower than what other people use. And imagine the cost of making the whole vehicle two inches narrower. And both of them will tell you their answer is correct. And you know, you'll pry their specific width trucks from their cold dead hands. Whether the truck should be two inches narrower or wider is irrelevant to us. They feel very strongly about that. And when we look at companies in this medium duty segment, they tend to be operationally complex they tend to have invested an enormous amount of time and money in very small tweaks to improve their operating margins and none of them are going to give that up so then when we look at the actual vehicles we have ultra high mix low volume for products where every operator you know especially the large fleet operator says well i want this i want this i want this and the result of that is that the market has completely split we have companies that make chassis with essentially zero customization and companies that make the upfit portion. With a UPS truck, you start with a strip chassis and then you get uh, what's called a walk-in body. With box trucks, you start with a cab chassis and then you get a box. With tow trucks, it's a cab chassis and then you get a tow truck uh, you know, upfit pack. But anytime you have a medium duty vehicle, it's passed through the hands of two different companies. Some company that does the chassis and some company that does all the pieces the customer cares about. And so the result is that we've broken the feedback link between customers and core manufacturers. You know, if Hertz rental car called Ford and said like, hey, this thing you're doing, it's a problem. They're gonna listen because Hertz probably buys you know, a million vehicles, maybe not a million a year, but they buy some enormous number of vehicles. If UPS calls Ford and says, hey, we really think you should do this thing differently, Ford is like, why would we care? We're 
you know, the thing that we make that goes to someone else and then goes to you, it's 0.5% of our annual volume. And so we've completely split the market into like all of these companies that care deeply about what their customers want, but they don't build chassis. They don't build powertrains. And then companies that build chassis and most of the companies, actually I guess all the companies that build chassis, they're doing it on this adjacency basis. You have companies like Ford that basically exist. I won't even say to sell you passenger cars. They exist to sell you F-150s. And then they take some of that technology and put it into a medium duty platform. And you have companies like Freightliner, which exists to sell you class eight cabs, um, for which they have 40% of the market. And then they take some of that technology, put it in a medium duty vehicle. But no one really exists to serve just medium duty vehicle on the chassis side. And so when it comes time to invest a couple hundred million dollars in electrification, these companies out at the bookends of the market say, well, obviously we just spend that money on the bulk of our market and that that medium duty thing, we'll get to that in five years or 10 years or never. And so while we've seen just tens, if not hundreds of billions of dollars flowing into passenger car electrification and heavy duty electrification over the last 10 years, we're probably still 10 years out from those companies deciding they want to make an effort at medium duty. So it's just been left behind. John Harris is the CEO of Harbinger. He spoke with our own Pete Bigelow. You can hear their full conversation on Shift, a podcast about mobility, wherever you get your podcast. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on EV startups, retail, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.